0: Welcome to Sunday Showcase.
1: The following audio drama is
0: rated G for general audience Sonic Speaks. Welcome to Sonic Speaks. I'm Jack Ward and tonight's guest you may know from his excellent noir Trouble is My Business or as the voice of Samuel Pepys in Cosmos, A Spacetime Odyssey, or if you're a hardcore fan like me, you might pick him out in Red Dead Redemption, too. He's become extremely well-known in the audio drama community or audio fiction community, apparently, in the fourth wave of the modern age with such instant classics such as Dracula, The Haunting of Ebenezer Scrooge, or The Festivus Incident, The Hairy Hands, or my personal favorite, of course, The Reasonably Amazing Adventures of Flash Gordon Radio, as who else... But Flash Gordon, and in a variety of shows from Project Audion, Narada Radio, and even Sonic Cinema
1: Productions, he's the irrepressible Tom Conkle. Tom, how are you tonight? I'm good. I love that intro. Thank you, Jack. It's an honor to be talking to somebody who I respect and who um I really enjoy your work. and we both share a passion and taste for very similar genres and storytelling and for me it's if i hadn't done this I, I wouldn't have met you you know it was really an eye-opening thing to kind of follow the wave of being someone who loved radio who then realized the power of audio you know storytelling and now with the power of podcasting you know here we are connecting across the continent uh, over this and i think that's beautiful
0: so I I agree totally. Take me back to your first experiences that got you to love radio drama. Where did they come from? I I think we're about the same age. I don't want yeah, about the same age. One us, But yeah. yeah,
1: and and um, you know, I grew up listening to um. A lot of radio shows where I had a little cassette recorder and I'd hold the mic up to the mic to the speaker because you couldn't record them. And I would play back the thing. And I actually figured out a way to trigger sound effects from like Space 1999 and different stuff. My controller for my slot cars worked as a switch. So I turned it into a stick controller from my spaceship. And when I'd squeeze the trigger, the sound effect would play on the cassette player. And I was like, oh, this is good. And apparently, my my parents sent me a thing, you know, because I, I work as an actor a lot and do a lot of voiceover. I have a great agent. Um, they found a reel-to-reel of me at three years old. Wow. I'm interviewing myself and playing all the characters. It's like, I was this guy. He, it was this little kid. He's like, <laughs> I'm interviewing Stubb Newell, who is 400 feet tall with his arm bent at the elbow. <laughs> and I don't know what I was thinking, but I literally. And then you'd hear my little feet go down and you'd hear me yell, Dad tape recorder this. You got to hear what I just did. You know, I am like four. <laughs> That's so amazing. I, I've been doing this my whole life, you know, five decades of doing this and I'm still learning, but I think my first experiences were very similar to what you had mentioned. I, my entry point was classic radio, you know, like the shadow. Um, I listened to lights out. Um, I really got into it in the eighties. As I got a little bit older, I realized wow, there are things you can do in audio that they just can't do visually. Like TV shows had limitations with effects and budgets, Mm -hmm. but radio, you know, I listened to Alien Worlds, which was a great show, um, very pulp adventure. And to me, it was like reading an E.E. Doc Smith book. It was like seeing John Carter of Mars in my brain and I realized um, through that work and, you know, obviously Orson Welles of War of the Worlds, I realized that the theater of the mind was so powerful. And I and I came to terms with the fact that I'm a visual guy as far as, you know, I make movies and I enjoy the visual language of movies, but I'm a I'm very verbal and audio oriented Artists like sometimes I hear the dialogue before I see the visuals. When a lot of people are very visual and like ah eh, dialogue, and then they say something. But look at that sun, you know. And and for me, it's much more the byplay that I was drawn to the intricate dialogue. You know, some of my favorite films were comedies that were you know Monty Python, where it was very much cerebral dialogue that was driving it, married to incredible visuals. Like some of their cheap quote-unquote movies looked better as medieval films or uh epics than than the real thing and so after that hitchhiker's guide was the final thing where i would argue i'd love to hear your opinion i think the audio radio version of Hitchhikers is still the best and definitely better Unbelievable. than better than the yeah.
0: books, better than the terrible television series, yeah, better than the, better than the movie. Oh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the reading, it's drama. not the same either. And no. like the radio script even is not as good as just sitting there, closing your eyes and imagining what the people look like, what they're talking about. And to me, that was the ultimate marriage of two of my loves science fiction, comedy, and very, very intricate soundscapes. Like, yes. like the Radiophonic Workshop, the BBC we were just talking about, is like one of the deepest benches of audio work. You know, they sure. started compiling that in the 60s. And you have Doctor Who and all the different things. Yeah. Radio, it's perfect. The reason everyone likes BBC Radio is because, A, you've got classically trained actors doing genre storytelling. B, the aesthetic is so good that yes. you they're not reinventing the wheel. They just go, "Oh yeah, I 1974 I think we created that." Yeah, and they go back and find it and it's beautiful. Yeah. So so for me though that was sort of my journey and I, I I I never really lost my way. I when I moved to Los Angeles, obviously I wanted to make it and whatever the the form of the day was. And I migrated to, you know, one of the reasons some of my acting stuff kind of there's a looks like a pause, it's because I did live shows. You know, I toured doing live shows all around the world uh, everywhere um, for about 10 years. Wow. And this is not a live show town. And I realized I was making a mistake as far as that goes, because I had a few agents like, hey, you're doing a show. Did you tape it? Can I see a VHS of it? <laughs> I'm like, it's not the same. You go, know, yeah. I'm doing Beyond the Fringe or I'm doing The Real Inspector Hound or original comedy on stage. I, I remember right. I used to do The Black Cat as a dramatic one man show. Wow. And um and showing it on tape, it was, eh. but then flash forward to now, the advent of the podcast, everything old is new again.
0: Yeah.
1: With a podcast, sure. you can do what radio was so powerful at doing, but now it's in an acceptable platform where yes. people of all ages are not parked in front of a radio where if you miss it at 4:30, it's over. You know, it's gone. You're sitting there with my microphone. You right. know, uh, I think I think now with a podcast, you get it's analogous to what happened with video, which is on demand. Any movie you want to see, any time. Now you've got this whole sonic scape that you can access. You can binge, you know, binge listen to something, or you for can sure. time shift it, and it's acceptable again. And I've and been waiting for even... this to happen.
0: I agree and it's like just like with the 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 on demand uh streaming pro- platforms you can have shows that are 47 minutes or 12 Or 25, and you're not hemmed in by a by the same sort of three act structure with a a commercial break here and a commercial break there. There's something good about that, but also it's very freeing to be able to just write the story that you need to
1: write. Exactly, and and as nice as it is to force the three act structure because you have a commercial, you know, I I used to do, you know, I was a staff writer at Warner's, and the discipline of having to tell a story in that time is great. But the problem with it is the predictability comes in right. and over the long-term structures, everything, as far as when I'm doing a half hour script that had commercials or an hour long or whatever, that was great to have the rigor of this break. It, it, it climaxes and you go and you bring them. That's a great discipline to learn. The problem is by the second season, you can tell that there's that crescendo coming. Oh, okay. Yep. 17 minutes, you know, <laughs> and, um, and that's the problem is as great as I think the learning of a discipline is you have to master it to, to change it, to mock it, to, to even, uh, earn a different shape. And what's nice now is, is you and I understand structure and we understand story. So you can do something that hangs well at 40 minutes, or maybe it hangs well at three hours, but you still have to apply that same rigor of this is the a story this is the b story this is my character arc it Mm -hmm. it, it, paintings are good because there's a frame and you have Absolutely. to work inside of it. The worst thing that can happen to an artist is to become a multimillionaire that everyone says yes to, or they mm-hmm. can just go like outside the frame. I'm going here. The excesses of it sometimes are exactly the problem. For and sure. and something that I really love about audio is it's the only medium where you can go, hey, look, an elephant. And there's an elephant. You know, you don't have to go get it. You don't have to to, to run it by people. You don't have to do it. And so it's a great way to test a concept. It's a great way to find a way to test the idea the way you want to do it once without Mm -hmm. the kind of capital outlay that's required for any other media, i.e. an internet series or a movie or even a standalone short film. Require Mm -hmm. so much more pieces, you have to move so much more coal around to get to the diamond, whereas I found, and this was probably exasperated by the the pandemic uh, that happened was, I find that for somebody that really enjoys storytelling, it's liberating to have a podcast and fiction podcast where you can do audio drama and just get it done get your friends together on zoom record it low impact and the story's there to me it's almost like the the most beautiful thing about theater where it's like i just want to put the play up once the way i meant it you know 100%. i don't want to run it by a bunch of different companies and sponsors and tell them eh, it's just blue's not popular right now you know i, I don't right. i don't want to do that uh and i i feel like that's something that's liberating for people like us is that it's a great place to incubate.
0: Right. Absolutely. And yeah. I always felt even 20 years ago, I thought, you know um, because I, I, I love telling story in every medium possible and I know yeah. you've done the same kind of thing too. I just, and it's funny how different mediums bring out different genres in my, if, if for me, some reason I write yeah. in, in my ideas for films, they tend to be um like uh romantic comedies for some strange reason but i don't write those for audio drama so it's very weird yeah um but that being said i i love one of my favorite old-time comedies was cary grant catherine hepburn bringing up baby no oh, yeah. i really and, and and that plot and and the same reason that you said the script is so written, like it's going so fast. It's actually twice the size of a normal script. That the yeah. I love fast talking back and forth, and yeah. that's what I love about what you guys do. Yeah, in your your yeah. mind, we have the
1: Lubitsch touch. Yeah, for sure. And and yeah.
0: and and I like to see that more. Uh, and it it shows it's a real cleverness of of uh, and and a real panache in the storytelling. If that's you know. So I was listening to. There's used to be a group called Chatterbox Audio out of Tennessee, and a fantastic mm-hmm. group. And they had a little video clip, and one of the producers said, "You used to say a picture's worth a thousand words. Sometimes I want to
1: hear the thousand words."
0: <laughs> and I, I love that's that. Pretty good. Sometimes so, I like
1: to hear the thousand words. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, uh, that's pretty. That's intellectually honest. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you got back into radio drama because of the pandemic. What, well, it's what a funny story, Jack. That?
1: It's a very funny story, actually. I um, did a lot of sketch comedy live. And in 19, I think it was 94 or 95, I was casting to replace a cast member in my sketch troupe. And I met this guy, Curtis Bedford. And his references were like, what? He goes, oh, yeah, I love the Goon Show. You know, the Peter Sellers. Oh, of course. He loved the Goon Show and Python and all this stuff. And I was like, Really? We have to do something he's like yeah we should do our own like goon show or something like that well the bastard moves away (laughs) he goes away but 25 years later Curtis is back in town and we're talking and he goes you know we said we'd do that goon show or do a radio show we should probably do that so in 2020 I said let's just get everybody on zoom Pick it. We'll do, pick one of our favorite old radio shows and reproduce it and try it and see what happens. Well, we did it, and it started working. And um, I started riffing on it, and that's how the Flash Gordon thing came up. You know, it's a public. Right. The radio show itself is public domain. Yes, it actually expired a couple of years ago, so it's fair game. You know, I don't go after the movie or the right, comic right. or anything. But I started riffing on it, and he was like, "Oh, that's funny. We we should it do was, that." Yeah. So it just it was a very organic um growing out of a love of that genre and then realizing that powerfully i could tell these stories and someone would actually hear it you know there's a big difference between putting it up and then handing people a cassette hey will you listen to my story but putting it on spotify or apple Podcasts, where right. it has the same weight or gravitas if you can make people aware of it they're like oh yeah i yeah, it's that or uh, NPR, you know, and if right. they're right next to each other on the selection, it gives a, 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 a real impetus to do more because you feel like it's heard. Like somebody's going to you can go in. I use Buzzsprout for my hosting and I'll right. go in and I'll be like, oh, 2000 today. You know, yep. people listen to it. So it motivates you as an artist because there's nothing worse than putting your heart and soul into something and then feeling yes. like you built it and no one came. Right. Uh, and, and for me, you know, I'm still learning discovery, still learning how to promote. Like I have a mind stream Twitter. I have a mind stream. Um, I, I even put them on YouTube because that's where the eyeballs are. You know, I'll right. put up a graphic and you'll put it. And sometimes you get more views and listens there than you do anywhere else. But sure. for me, it was with Curtis forcing me to evolve. That's how the Dracula thing came up. That's how, you know, I was, I was writing this other show and I was like, oh, The Festivus incident would be such a great idea where (laughs) Scrooge and just and just all hell breaks loose with with the ghosts and the whole thing and do a Python-esque version of that. And so these were it's basically an unofficial reunion of my sketch troupe. Some of us had not performed together in years, but I got all the gang back together. And, uh, I mean, we even played the ladies and, um, and, and we did this thing pretty much live. Like I had two real carolers on zoom with us singing and we performed it. And one of the the disciplines of what I do is this is not something where one person is recording, you know, and then you pick the best take or whatever. I rehearse people as a director and then we run it. And when we do it, that's it. It's streaming live. There's no like, oh. You know, I'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, right? It's like no, it needs to work in that moment. But that urgency is what you're responding to, I think. When you're like yeah. that banter, that byplay back and forth, when we're just on the edge of cracking each other up, and the brain is fully engaged, and you're like thinking of things to say and do. There's you can't get that sitting alone. And this is I, I have so much respect for you and what you do
0: because, for me, when I I don't act very often. When I do, um. I prefer doing it that way where I at least have everybody in the room or yep. it on Zoom or something like that because I feel the energy is much better and I can I can do much better that way. Yep. I have friends of mine that hate it, that prefer to be able to record on their own and right. throw the stuff in. So it's we called that back in the day, satellite recording. Right. You would, you know, draw which that which you
1: have to do sometimes. Yes, I, totally I absolutely like sometimes have with, to do that. Yeah, Here's Pete my Lutz- biggest... Yeah, I yeah. do that all the time for his neurata sure. uh, and that stuff. You have to, But y- there is an energy that comes in and and Absolutely. I I really got it driven home recently because I watched a documentary on uh it was Jeff Lynn from ELO and in the 70s, he recorded all those hits. He was great. He's a he's a master in the studio as far as creating a look. But in the 70s, he was performing with other musicians and he had to impress his peers, you know, like George Harrison and stuff. Well, Jeff, I guess in 2012, by himself in his house, decided I'm going to re-record all my hits. And even though technically they were cleaner and better. No one was there to listen. No one was there to impress. He played all the instruments himself and they're lifeless compared to the recording. You listen to his Mr. Blue Sky now and you're like, yeah, the background's cleaner. The percussion sounds a little cleaner. But at the end of the day, it's not a better version of the song because there wasn't, you know tom petty standing next to him going i don't know if that works man now it's him. (laughs) it's him in his bathrobe in in his living room he's rich with one guy recording him and he's going oh let me just try this and as talented as he is he doesn't have to do it for anybody right and i i could tell the difference i played it for my son in the car and he goes is this some kind of cover version of these songs i'm like no that's jeff lynn doing him again he's like not as good he couldn't say why And then all of a sudden I realized why it's because the urgency of the moment it was created and how it was created is as important as what he did.
0: Yeah. I grew up um, loving a lot of uh, seventies folk singers and stuff like that. And so one of my, my heroes was Harry Chapin Mm -hmm. and it, his live albums are so much better than his studio albums by, by a mile. Yeah, it's the energy that in the same thing. But what I wanted to say that I have like even more respect for you is that you're able to pl- play double duty. And I hate playing double duty of, of directing and acting at the same time, I would rather have one person directing, right. and, and, and I can focus on the acting or the other way around, because I am so focused when I'm acting on, on what I want to do and my character that I really can't listen for mistakes in the same way. I'm, I'm just ready to go for that reason. And you yeah. do a superb job Thank of you. doing both those.
1: I've been doing it a long time. I didn't realize other people did it. You know, I, I, I later, you know, I found out about Orson Welles and I found out about Brana and Mel Gibson and all these mm-hmm. people. But, but for me, the way, the way my brain was wired is my performance as an actor is already part of what I'm directing. So, I'm like the perfect employee for myself mm-hmm. um and and what I've found that I can do is I can step away and I refer to myself as he, where he is doing this in service to the story, but I'm looking at the big picture overall. And the biggest challenge from that was when I did trouble as my business because not only was I directing the film, I was one of the leads. Overseeing the shots and say, I mean, no one else directed that movie. I had to pick my shots, run everything with everybody, step in, be in character, get all the little minutia gone, and then forget all about it for the time that I'm performing it, and then go back and go, okay, let me see it. Now it was made easier by playback. It was Mm -hmm. made easier, but I didn't play back all the time. I trusted that what happened in the room. Would work there. And I think that's that's probably the one blessing that I have is that I have a third eye that can see if it's working. And I'm nice. really hard on myself that way. And I'm really hard on the project where it's like, you know what, it, it, that lightning in a bottle, those happy accidents aren't going to happen if I don't create an environment as a director where everybody feels like they can you know, contribute whatever they want. But the minute you don't feel someone with a strong hand, people don't participate they want somebody who's like that suit i want that light there because then it liberates them to concentrate on what they are if it's rudderless or they feel like anyone can come in with it they don't do their best work and the and the piece suffers i think it goes back to a discipline that i had um directing live theater that i was in because you had to see visualize yourself on the stage the blocking and the movement and then i've always been a film guy so there are several steps that a movie goes through. It's it's written once in the script, it's it's done again in the in the actual shoot, and then it's actually made again in the edit. It's a completely right. different part of the brain. And I'm a very good editor. So so I will know we don't need to do this whole scene. We need to do the top and the tail of this. I know I'm going to use this section, I know I'll use that, and I can actually think that while I'm doing it. Where it's nice. like I I don't want to run it in a master. I know I'm just going to go where he comes in. We cut there. The camera will follow here, and I'll be in a oneer to him. And I know the only out shot is this. So we'll lose hours of somebody going. I don't know. Let me just yeah. play the whole thing from beginning to end. Okay, now right. to the close up of him. Now that I've never done that, oh, and I don't wonderful. think I would have finished Trouble Is My Business if I had because right. it would be three times the footage to shoot all For of sure. that. So there isn't another cut of it. There isn't yeah. another performance where you go, yeah, the, you 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 know you've got it. And you might do a safety. You might do something else. But to beat that horse, or to go, I don't know, let's shoot the power plugs, and we might cut away to that. You know, uh, that to me is is lazy because the technology allows it. You know, right. if if that was film we were burning. You wouldn't do, yeah, no, no way in the world, right? No, and the same with audio. Though audio, you can have too many choices, too many things. It's too easy to do it without that rigor. So I think the rigor of being in the moment on Zoom, recording it that way, made those have an energy that they wouldn't have had. Now I do think the studio can be an instrument, and you give me a studio, I could create the you know movie version of this thing if I could layer and luxuriate with more sound effects and things like that. Would it be better? I don't know. Right. Well, a friend yeah. of
0: mine used to call what he did. And this is Jerry Robbins again from Colonial Radio Theater. He said, look, it's audio theater. Yeah. I, it, Although we do all the great sound effects to make it sound realistic. And he's well known for a number of shows, but specifically Powder River, yeah. which was his big Western series for six, seven years. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, we do it all together like a stage show kind of thing. Yeah. So if you're expecting it to be, you know, no bleed through on any of the mics or something like that, you're never gonna get that. You're never gonna get that. and so there is there is a kind of magic to that yes. too. And and, and I performance think that trumps
1: everything. Big performance, you know, no one ever goes, oh Gary Oldman was great, but that lamp, I don't know if that know. lamp behind him was framed right. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've seen Oscar winning clips where the focus was soft, right. But the performance is so good that you don't care and so, and with yeah. audio i learned something every time i did when i did Harry handed hitchhiker i was a huge orson welles fan i always have been because people are like oh you look like orson Welles." so i <laughs> i once did him on stage i i've done parodies of him i've done different nice. things but i thought what is it about wells as a performer that is hypnotic what is it about his aesthetic and how can i have fun with that and so Harry handed hitchhiker was like every one of his suspense kind of monologues where he meets people and it was such a great framework as a thing and i had some ideas from my sketch days that i want to drop in but i'll tell you the act of performing it i had a new respect for carrying that kind of hypnotic uh effect of of being in his head uh of doing those scenes and and the way wells's you know persona comes off the guy knew what he was doing and and i i remember when I was a kid. I read about him driving in a taxi from one studio to another, reading a script cold for the shadow, and then going to another thing and reading it cold. And I honed that down myself where it became a skill. Like if my agent sends me a script now, I will set this up. I'll bring that script up cold on my phone and I will read it cold for a final product. On a thing now, because I had to learn that discipline of you've got to pull it up. You don't have time to sit there and go, what do you mean by this? What do you do? It's like mm-hmm. you read it, you get the notion of it, you get the gist of it, and then you give them two great takes. And that's yeah. what Orson really mastered. And you could tell his movies work even if you had the image off. If you were out of the room, you could still follow what was going 100%. on.
0: I, yeah. I I love table reads for that reason. Yeah. Anytime somebody has a table read, please invite me. I love hitting things yes. cold that reason. We do.
1: Yeah, that you should be able to follow it visually with the sound off, and mm-hmm. but you should be able to follow it as an audio piece in the other room. Yes. You know? and and that's the influence of radio and television. The original Star Treks all work. If you're out of the room, because all those writers had radio backgrounds and they made everything work without narration. You knew what room they were in. Doctor, have you been in this this uh, sick bay very long? How is John doing now? You know, you're in the sick bay. John is there. You're talking to Dr. McCoy. New shows, you'll notice they have these long silences or they talk in pronouns only. He's over here. What happened to him? I don't know. And you're in the other room going, who are you talking about? But yeah. those old shows like dragnet star yep. trek all of them were right. because For of sure. radio
0: absolutely oh that's yeah. that's something i was just talking to somebody about some of my frustrations with some of the new star trek i mean you're a star trek fan and yeah. and and part of it is that part of it is i noticed that the dialogue in a lot of modern shows are written by people who were fans of television or or something but not classically trained like the writers of the back in the day so you get a lot of sort of modern day lingo that they you don't expect them to ever say in the 23rd or 24th century and you're like that drives me nuts it drives me bananas
1: too discovery is guilty of that yeah Yeah. they will talk in a way that two years from now you'll be like oh my remember that phrase where people brode each other you know yeah. bro, you know, or 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 they even did a, a mistake in with Star Trek in general, which I think one of the classic things about Voyage Home was they didn't know bad words. like they had moved on from them. So them swearing at each other now is sort of like, yeah, have we learned nothing that's not cool. It's like everybody that's- does that. You know, it's it's so common, it's much more fun to say, no, we evolved beyond that to to us. It's like, what's this double goddamn on people? You know, they (laughs) they didn't understand what it was, but now they've they've sort of recursively gone back to that to be edgy in Star Star Trek. And I don't feel like it works. I feel like it brings it down. It ironically, by being so contemporary, it dates it. It really. That's
0: what I. Yeah, that's a yeah. perfect way of putting it. Is ironically, yeah, I love that. That's a great phrase. Yeah, I, now, I know we're running out of time, and we sure. can talk forever. I love this yeah. stuff. This is fantastic.
1: In yeah, fact, and thank you for having me on here and being so supportive of my work and and MindStream <laughs> oh. and my movies and, and, you, and you know you've that's been able why to- I'm making it.
0: Yeah, and you're putting all of this stuff on Mutual, by the way, for folks. And it's yep. wonderful. We've gotten more listeners for that reason as well. Tell us um, more about what's coming up for you. And and we've had some chats about something that maybe we'll be doing together, which would be good. That's
1: right. Well, first off, you and I have been talking about something that's kind of exciting. I um, We're going to start a channel on YouTube uh, that discusses audio drama and what's happening with it today. Um, hoping to have some great creators on and talk to us. Um, to find out how they advertise their shows, how they create them. There's a deep, deep bench of shows um, that uh, are looking to be discovered or have been discovered by niche audiences. And I feel like we could serve the public well by shining a light on a lot of these, what we we were calling audio fiction podcasts, where they're really full cast dramas put on by independent producers or um groups of companies that that support this kind of storytelling so i'm excited we're probably going to launch something you and i uh bring some creators on and talk about our projects as well um and that'll be on on my youtube channel which you can you can post a link for and then for me personally um i'm going to uh, probably boost the output of mindstream shows that we're doing i just finished the uh i think it's the sixth or the seventh uh um adventures of flash gordon the reasonably (laughs) amazing adventures of flash and i actually went back and i realized i hadn't done the first episode to launch this thing like i had i had evolved the show the way i kind of experienced where it's like oh yeah i heard the first one but then by the second one i had these really twisted ideas so i started with the second one and just spun off into that but then having learned better how to tell the story know the characters better uh had some original music done and everything i went back with everything i learned and i think we did the best episode ever as the first one so instead of seeing it you know kind of evolve from a creaky first episode to you know the sixth episode i went back and did that first one and i love how it turned out it has some of the best jokes i've thought of in a long time in in one place and that's the thing i love about doing those mindstream audio things is it's a great place as a repository of like, here's an idea, there's a place I can put it, you know, and it doesn't require years of work. Um as far as other things I'm doing requiring years of work, um, mm-hmm. I did just do some audio um I did some audio work as an actor on uh, there's a new Star Wars series, a new animated series coming out. I'm going to be one of the villains in that. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Dave. Dave Filoni is doing that. So I got to meet Dave Filoni and talk. I'm to a him. huge fan of Dave Filoni's writing. Yeah, so me, me too. Me yeah. too. And um, I got to go into a studio. Uh, we ended up talking about Spartacus and ended up talking for wow. an hour um because Spartacus inspired some of what we're doing and uh I got to be if you Bill get to yell
0: things. back and forth I am Spartacus, yeah.
1: I am <laughs> Spartacus. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't believe it you know I moved to LA because I really wanted to be involved in in genre storytelling and things like Star Wars so for me it was the culmination of, you know, 30 years of struggling to be in the same room with Dave Filoni with him going, sure. I love that character you're doing. You know, he's this British character because I, I work as a Brit as much as I do an American. Right. Um, and so I do a <laughs> lot of British accents. And um, the other thing I'm putting together, I'm super excited about are some movies. Um, after Trouble is My Business, unfortunately, we had the pandemic and I lost a few years, a few steps trying to get it. Exactly. But we're getting ready to gear up and do a, a pulp sci Sci fi, uh, sort of a steampunk adventure set in uh, futuristic Australia. What's it called? Um, so people can look at it. It's called Island it? in the Stars. And we are doing fundraising. So, yeah, we're we'll doing a doing crowdfunding. crowdfunding. Yeah. Well, there'll be an Indiegogo campaign for uh, the first round, which. We'll Goes it goes to yeah, making really. offers to some of the actors. I, I was able to circumvent some actors' uh, agents and go directly to them. Mm-hmm. And they read it and was like, This is actually good. I would do this, you know, make it happen. So you have to do something called a payer play. You have to put some money down to secure oh. them through their agents. So this first round of crowdfunding would do that. Uh, I Already have a distribution agreement for it. So uh, you can show it's got a place it's going to go. You've got your talent. So it really moves the ball forward on Island and the Stars. I just finished a, a comedic Western that's sort of in the style of um, uh, Goldman. It's sort of a, uh, a Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid heist film. Oh, sweet. I just finished that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm writing a a, a couple of things. I'm waiting for the you know the strike to be over that I can get out to market. I was going right to ask out. you
0: about that, and I wanted I wanted to thank you personally because you're doing you know I'm not religious, but you're doing God's work. So I, I think you guys I I'm I'm a thank big you. union man myself, yep. being a teacher and the whole bit, and I think that what you're doing is helping us all. And I, I agree. fast and strong and let us know how we, we can to. keep doing that. Yeah. So, well,
1: thanks. we had to because uh, the education of the public as to what's happening. This is not a new paintbrush. No. You know, this is not a new, you know, oh, you're just threatened because, you know, like Photoshop came in and it scared people with canvases. It's like, no, we're talking about AI being a paintbrush that can paint the painting without a human.
0: That's
1: right. Without human, no humans needed is not the arts. No no humans needed for um, doing voiceover or sampling that voice and making people say things. You need to be protected. It's not no. a bunch of rich people going, oh, poor me, I'm doing it. It's like it's no. guys like me. Working class, middle class people who happen to make their living entertaining people are doing it going, hang on, just because we have the tech to do this, just because, you know, Joe producer or corporation goes, great, I don't have to pay for the rights. They can work 24 Uh, seven. They could do all these things. I don't have to pay anybody. That's not always a good thing because there won't be anyone left to buy their goods. There won't be anyone left to buy their art. And and we haven't thought that through. What what robots were to blue collar jobs, um, AI technology is to white collar and artists jobs. If you right. need a legal contract, you can go on ChatGTP and have it done instantly. So why yep. be a lawyer? Why right. why why go through the rigors of learning a musical instrument if you can put it in and go violin style of Brahms? This thing that play it yep. and it's instant. Yeah. That's not good for society. I I no. never thought they'd go after the arts, but it makes perfect sense. And you know why, sure. Jack? Why? The arts are online. The arts are on the internet. They don't they, manufacture why? anything. They don't they don't do your lawn. They don't build the no. car. The arts and the human experience, the reason it got rated first is it's all up there. Write me an outline in the style of Stephen King or in Tom Conkle. Boom, it comes out instantly. But it's just a copy of what we did. It's predictive text. Exactly. But you know what? It's good enough. Right. It's good enough for a producer who goes, hey, I don't want to pay Tom Conkle. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I, and 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 we will suffer. And, and the yeah. problem is we are very unaware that we're being conditioned to in that look at filters. It makes people on Instagram and people's photos look perfect. They That's look right. like robots. They look like mannequins. Auto tuning sure. music. If you listen to Led Zeppelin, it's like yeah. they're not perfect. They're not note perfect. Yeah. But we auto-tune music. And what does that make people sound like? Robots. That's right. It's perfect. Yeah. We've conditioned everyone under 25 to think something's wrong if it's not perfect. Yeah.
0: And that's where the magic is, is those those slight imperfections and variations. That's what creates real artistry. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you have that perfect voice, it doesn't sound real. No, it, it is unreal. It, it's
1: unreal and it's quantitized and, and all these yeah. things. And let's face it, you go, oh, well, it'd be perfect It'd be perfection. It's like, that's not what the human experience is. And the idea that someone's working on AI right now to make it fake look imperfect, you know, or <laughs> fake, fake inspiration. We don't know where inspiration comes from. We don't know where you were saying doing God's work. We don't know where the the light comes from that strikes, that makes you want to create. You know, women can create life. Men create stories. That's as close as we get to creating life. So now we have a machine that can instantly remove the joy of creation. And we're celebrating it. Only human beings are so dumb that knowing that it prevents you from art, writing, music. I mean, hey, let's do it. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 that for me is the worst thing because someone innocently said something at a at a Fourth of July party and it really made my heart sink because I, you know, for 27 years have worked as an actor. And one of the bread and butter things I do is audio work. And this guy's, I wrote a book, but you know, I just put my voice in, and I'll sample it, and they can just read the text and it'll just read the whole book out. And I was just sitting there and I'm thinking about. Put my kid in college. I got to do. He thought, well, yeah, that would be easy and do it. But that's someone's job. You're just, you know, boasting. You got rid of. Yeah, you don't have to spend any money to do it. But you did it, and you're doing it, and you're eliminating it, and. It's not really the same thing as what people are always drawing as a conclusion. They're going, oh, well, you're complaining the way sound came in with movies. And suddenly the guy who did the subtitle cards, you know, between the silent movies was out of a job. I'm like, no, it's not that that guy still had a job doing titles. You know, (laughs) you had musicians who played live who now do scores in movies. You had people who wrote movies who now do that with AI. You go, don't need them. Don't need humans. They're gone, and that's not just even that.
0: Reading of that book, you don't understand that AI won't know when to pause. No, the right moment to be able to put just a little bit extra on that one thing, and you can give it to fifteen different actors, and they'll give you fifteen different amazing takes.
1: You know why? This is the more ephemeral answer. The reason you won't is AI is not enjoying the book while it's reading it. Nice, that's perfect.
0: Perfect. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. That's why you get 15 different reads from 15 actors. They're enjoying the book. They're resonating with it. And an AI is executing the book. That's right. And exactly. and I've tried to communicate that with my futurist friends and my technologists who think we should, and it, and it's all part of a bigger thing, Jack. Technology right. companies have taken over the movie studios and to them, the same people that make phones are making the product that go on it. It's essentially the guy who made the projector at AMC Burbank. Now yes. is going, you know, I like to project a movie that has this green color in it, make more green, you know, That's and, right. and, and it's not the same thing. And I think on a deeper level, the more we communicate about it as humans, we go, well, what is it that we're here? Do we we make art efficient is that the goal do we make art cheap do we make art uh readily available because the the lure of it is look everybody can get a camera now everybody can tell a story but most of it is shit you know like like what you good jazz you can't play a a guitar a good guitarist knows how to play the guitar a great guitarist knows what to play and there's yes. the difference now we're sure. getting everybody a guitar. You don't have to learn how to play. Right. You think we're going to have better songs? <laughs> nope. Yeah, no. And and it's killing me as a filmmaker, too, where, you know, I have a feature film out. And one of the reasons you're not like, hey, Tom is like Steven Spielberg. Well, the reason is 4,000 other movies came out, you right. know, and they glut these things They're like Netflix doesn't even bother advertising them. You know, right. they'll just drop them and there's a postage stamp. And you're like, I didn't know Chris Pratt did a movie, right. you know, and, and that's because. All of them are seen as a level playing field. All of them, uh, th- the cost of making them was high, but the cost of them coming out was nothing because there's a glut of product mm-hmm. because any guy can go, hey, I got my camera. Let's let's make a movie. Whether they're good or not's the difference. And it's and so part, hard to find the good ones. For sure. And yeah. part of what we
0: want to do with audio drama, yep. whatever we want to call now. it. Is to do that as well. We want to be able to connect and and help find for people some of the gems that are out there in the glut of podcasts. Because you may not believe this, but I did. I've been doing the the Sonic Society. I'll start our 19th season in September weekly for 19 years. And for seven of those first years, I didn't know if podcasts would continue going. Yeah. It was that hard to find audio drama. Yes. I was scraping the barrel. And the reason I honestly, the reason I started it is like, I want to make my own, right? And I want to put it on a podcast, but right. I can't do a new one every week. So, right. how do I get people doing this? And I just tried to find other people and showcase right. and found I really loved doing this. Exactly. It's more
1: egalitarian words. to bring people in. Uh, you sure. know, all boats rise. Yeah.
0: And, and now and... it's everywhere.
1: Yeah. Now it's, it's everywhere. everywhere. And I, I, I am really thankful for that because it gives one hope that the power of audio storytelling will not go away with the death of radio. Uh, right. It won't go away with, you know, what we used to listen to it on, like CD, cassette, whatever. Now sure. it's readily available in this form. Hopefully it stays um, very accessible Hopefully these platforms, you know, there's so many places that a podcast can be, but you know, there'll be a retraction where some fail because it takes capital to keep these things going. But with your Spotify and your Apple podcast and your iHeartRadio, all those ones, hopefully there's enough people. I worked with John Cleese on a show. I was acting. We did a sketch show together and he goes, you don't have to please everyone, just enough people. That's right. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? He's absolutely right. Because. Um, the best stuff appeals to, you know, you and I are nuts for genre stuff, you know, like pulp stuff or stories like yeah. that. You don't have to make something that's going to appeal to granny down the way. Of and like, that's mass, that's mass entertainment, right. which often the best of it, you go, oh, that's fantastic. You know, from grandma to a little kid right. can enjoy it, but not everything's supposed to be that. Of and course. and so by just pleasing enough people in an audio podcast like a fiction podcast you get this very loyal people that you could serve with a very deep kind of dive into your idea and you can really mine out that idea without worrying like are we going to lose people when we talk about quantum physics like no my people love quantum physics absolutely you know and and to me that's the power of this and i hope it continues the worst thing that could happen is that it gets capitalized by a few companies that want this to please everybody. Right. You know? Right.
0: Well, I do hard. know the guy who created podcasting, Adam, and I've lost his last name now. Um, he he made made it, designed it specifically so it was as egalitarian as possible, that it could not be uh, held by a few in, in the same way. And That's so fantastic. that makes it really, really good. Yeah. And I want to say the, the one thing, if I was going to ask, if somebody asked me like, what is Mindstream like? And it used to be called Mindstream players, of course, mm-hmm. I would say it is one of the most joyfully entertaining audio dramas out there. Thank you. And, 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 and the, I'm saying that with all, all the love I have in my heart, because you can go back to old time radio and find those same kind of joyfully entertaining shows yep. Jack Benny, uh, you know, yeah, uh, Abbott and Costello, all yep. of those ones that are just like they just everybody's having so much fun.
1: Goon show, yeah. The, yeah. the goon yeah. show,
0: yeah, which yeah. is again, I think the, the, the start of fire sign theater, too. Yes, as very well, much right? so. They
1: acknowledge that, yeah, absolutely. So, but nowadays
0: people are so we have so many serious stories, even the comedies. Are not necessarily as done with that level of no. fun, entertainment. Lo- it, you get that feeling of the live that we talked uh, about that brings it. So yeah.
1: It's it's partly that. It's the energy of that. I really have, you know, that sketch background mm-hmm. it's coming from. But you're right. I, I, I it really moves me that you say joyful. It is a joyful celebration of just cracking yourself up, uh, mm-hmm. doing something that hopefully someone else agrees with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's all about performance and creating a mood. And um, just a state of being when you're listening to it where it's like, oh, that's wonderfully silly. Um, mm-hmm. The best review I ever got live doing sketch, they said, um, so stupid, it's genius. <laughs> and awful. I was like, that's that's stream. It's so stupid. it's genius. It's smart. You don't feel dumb for listening to it, but it's wonderfully dumb. That's great. And, um, that's what I love doing. And for me, it's a real outlet from the much more structured things I have to do. Uh, sure. other you know other people's projects or putting together a movie takes years um as a, as a as a jobbing actor or a writer you're 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 seeing so many other considerations. But Mindstream for me was that liberation of just going off the chain and going, let's get together with a bunch of super talented people and just blaze through this and entertain ourselves and hopefully some people agree with us
0: and we we all feel that i know that i do can you tell me when the next mind stream is up so that yep. i can set Absolutely. my set my electronic <laughs> dials to
1: <laughs> our next one yeah will be uh, late august awesome. um i'm working on something right now uh might be a western okay. and um And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And you can listen to uh, Mindstream on most of the platforms. If you search for Mindstream, it's hosted on Buzzsprout. You can find it there if you do a Google search. Uh, please listen to some of the one-offs there's season season one of a uh, um, kind of a continuous series with the flash gordon but then the, it gets a more um, esoteric with season two where there'll be a one-off like the festivus incident or right. one of these other things or you'll see our tribute to old radio we'll do a uh, shadow episode or something like that right. so so it's not all just one thing it's very much a bucket that you can put the commonality is the way it's performed and the aesthetic and sort of the the, the rigor that we hold it to and how we execute it, but it's not limited to any one thing. There's even some things that aren't funny. You know, there's like Dracula. Um, and that was a challenge to try and figure out how to do a much more theatrical old school play again, you know, and sure. and, and honor that with time changes and using music to suggest a, a going back in time that you can't do in film. Yeah. The next one will drop in late August. Uh, If you subscribe to the uh, feed, it will be on your feed if you you go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'm really looking forward to doing the next one. And then you and I are going to have some stuff on YouTube with our new show, hopefully in the next month or two.
0: I can't wait. Thank you so much, Tom Congle, for showing up. What a great beginning conversation of many, many to come. And I wish you all the best on all the Thank projects, you, including the new steampunk. I'm right there. I'll be one of <laughs> yes. the backers. Thank Island you. in the
1: Stars is going to be a lot of fun. And that that uh, campaign starts uh, in late July, early August. Awesome. Have a great day. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate Bye-bye. it.